Welcome back to the podcast. We are going to dive into our Keep the Fires Burning, a study of the minor characters of the Bible again today. Um, but before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the ministry here at Evidence for Faith. Now, if you've been following us for a while, you know that Evidence for Faith is not just a podcast. We do a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of events. We do some specialty trips, which allow people to learn about God in a completely different experience and context. Um, and uh, we also publish all of our resources for free, or at least as free as we can. Um, and the reason we're able to do that and do this full time is because we are completely 100% donor supported. If you've been thinking about donating to the ministry or supporting the show or just supporting all the work that we do beyond the show, um, you can actually do that today at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence number four, faith.org slash give. Or you can just scroll down to the description and there is a link right there that will take you to the giving page and also instructions on how you can give securely online or if you want to send us a check through the mail. Or if you've donated before, we really appreciate it. You're the reason why we're still on air. If you're thinking about it, pray about it and see what God lays on your heart. So with that, I'm going to let Michael take it away here with our Keep the Fires Burning and let's meet Nadab in Abihu. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. So glad you're joining me today. As we continue in our series, the um, Keep the Fires Burning. Now, these are stories of Old Testament and New Testament characters, but minor characters, ones we often don't hear too much about, if at all, in sermons and in, in lessons and stuff that we read. But they can teach us, even though they're minor characters, they can teach us major lessons. And today, what we're going to be focusing on are two people that might catch you by surprise. Some of you might have heard of them. Uh, Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu, you know, some might be saying, oh, I know them. Others might be saying, those are biblical characters. Well, um, yeah. And what we're going to learn from them is how present cultures uh, overrule some of God's standards, according to man at times. That that happens. And our story is going to be based in the book of Leviticus, right around chapter 10, but 9 and 10. We're going to move around a little bit in there. But can culture really overrule God's standards, God's word? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about from Nadab and have Abihu. But let me first tell you um, a little story. In his book, What Jesus Said About Successful Living, Herod Robinson wrote an interesting story I'd like to share with you. Years ago, a man named John Bailey, the late um, Eternity Magazine columnist, visited some uh, German Christians who had been devoted German soldiers in the German army during World War II. Two of them had been put up for promotion to become second lieutenants in the Nazi army. The commandant told them that he would approve the promotion on, on one condition, uh, that they join the officers club. Well, being members of the club would require them to attend some weekly weekend dances. These young men believed that dancing was wrong because it could lead to immorality. Because of their convictions, they turned down the promotion. Later, in their military careers, these men were assigned to death camps, where thousands of Jews were stuffed into ovens and killed. Even though they did not directly participate in the slaughter, they knew what was going on. 
yet they never voiced any protest. When Joe Bailey talked to them many years after the war, they looked back on their experiences with no regret, convinced that they had made good decisions. For them, not conforming to social pressure and refusing to dance was an act of righteousness. And conforming to patriotic mass murder and remaining silent while thousands of Jews burned in ovens left them with no feelings of unrighteousness. You see, when we set our, our own standard of external righteousness, we're capable of any evil. When we are filled with his righteousness, no good is too great. I have found that sometimes Christians struggle with truth. And people in general do, but even Christians do. Yes, they know that uh, Christians know that God's word, uh, what's in it and, and what it is, yet they'll set their own standards. They may justify this by saying that God's word was written for an ancient Jewish culture, and it doesn't apply to America or the world today. I hear this frequently. Sure, the way of salvation, they'll say, is true, but the other messages and commands do not necessarily pertain to our culture today. It was written for an ancient culture. Thus, they set their own standards to live by neglecting God's word. Now, I believe that God and his word are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, because it says that in Scripture. Um, I believe that we are not to alter his word to try to fit it into our own standards. I truly believe that if we all live by his standards, how blessed our nation would be. I also believe that many of our young people would not be compromising personal integrities and thus would have fewer pressures. Two non-popular biblical characters that illustrate that God is not a changing God are Nadab and Abihu two older sons of Aaron, the high priest. So this is taking place during the Exodus, uh, Moses and the Exodus. Now, again, who are Nadab and Abihu? They're the two oldest sons of Aaron, the high priest. Now, we know this because of Exodus chapter 6, verse 23 reads, Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, uh, the daughter of Amnidab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. There's Aaron's four sons. Now, because they're Aaron's four sons, they are all priests. Priests were given special privileges to serve God that other people did not get. And we see this in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Then bring them near, Aaron is, um, or God is saying, um, Moses is saying actually to Aaron, then bring them near to you, Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Now, God, of course, is telling Moses um, to tell Aaron this. Um, so it says, it continues, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithmar. It actually names the four sons that are to serve as priests. That's what we see in Exodus 28.1. God telling Aaron, bring your four sons, they're going to be my priests. So, and it does, uh, gives it to, him, uh, to us in their order of birth, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ithamar. Now, these two, first, the first two that are mentioned, these two are very special men because they're allowed even to go up to Mount Sinai 
with Moses and Aaron. A lot of people don't realize this, but it does say this in Exodus 24, verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up to Mount Sinai. These men were allowed the great privilege to see actually the feet of God. We see this in the next verse, Exodus 24, 10. And they saw the God of Israel there under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. These two men were given the privilege also to wear special priestly garments, different than other priests have. We see this in Exodus 28, verse 4, which reads, These are the garments that they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. So they even get special clothing that sets them aside, special uniform, if you will. In chapter 9 of Leviticus, we find Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu all working and performing their priestly duties as commanded by God. They are in the act of worshiping and showing the people, people are watching, the worship of God here. A series of sacrifices had just been performed, and the people were absolutely astonished by God's answer for these sacrifices. We read this in, in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Just sort of picture this in your mind. And Moses and Aaron went into the, into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Wow. Can you just imagine what that was like? And everybody, I mean, I would do it myself. I'd be on my face on the ground um, worshiping God for this. Well, Nadab and Abihu were there, and they're wearing their priestly garments and assisting their dads as the Lord has commanded them. And everything was proceeding according to God's direction, and the people were being tremendously blessed. But suddenly, something goes terribly wrong. Get to the next chapter, chapter 10, the first two verses. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Whoa, what just happened? Both Nadab and Abihu experienced basically spontaneous human combustion. Why? Everything was going so well. The people were being blessed. God was receiving praise. What happened? Well, look what it says. As they were working, Nadab and Abihu used what the Bible says, unauthorized fire for their censers. Censers, just a, a little container that they would have hot coals in that you would put incense and things on. And um, they're still used, um, Eastern Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and others still use these things today. And um, that's what these things were. But it says it was unauthorized fire. What's that mean? What is unauthorized fire? 
Well, whenever you come across something that's confusing in Scripture, here's just a little tidbit of, of help for you. When you get a word or a, a f- small little phrase that you can't quite catch what's going on, go to um, the original language, get an interlinear Bible, or there's software you can go to, um, biblehub.com, Bible gateways and stuff, and see what the original word is, and then look up that word in the dictionaries, um, Hebrew, Greek dictionary, etc., to find out what the thing is, what that word is. In this case here, looking back at the ancient Hebrew text, the word for unauthorized used here is zur, zur. Now, in a dictionary, we'll call that strange, is another like synonym of it or definition of it, it's strange, or, are you ready? Profane. Yes, profane. By the way, if you continue to look through some of these sources, you're going to see something interesting. That is the same word, zur, uh, is the same word um, used for committing adultery. That profanity. So it's that's what this is talking about. This is profane, not just strange. It's it's strange that it's not holy. It's not by what God has commanded. So what did Nadab and Abihu do wrong? Well, we're actually not told the specifics, the 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 exactly what they did that was against God's instructions. But obviously, they did this willingly. Some scholars, um, if you go through commentaries and stuff, some scholars believe that it was because they were drunk. And drunk serving God like this while performing their duties, um, that was is why God's wrath was upon them. And they, they come up with this because later on in this passage, you're going to see that God starts to address, um, for the priests anyway, um, prohibition against drinking. Um, alcohol and stuff. So that's where they get this. Where other scholars believe that the coals that they used to burn the incense was obtained from a different source than what God had commanded for it to come from, since it's the word unauthorized or strange is being used to describe it. In any case, they disobeyed God and substituted what they thought was, shall we just say, just as good or their own interpretation of worshiping God. Actually, they're guilty of three offenses, if you study this carefully. First, they use a profane and unholy fire in their censers. That's that's one. I mean, that's obvious. Second, do you realize they did not do what God commanded? No, they didn't. And that is a sin. And thirdly, another thing they did wrong, they set their own standards of what was right and acceptable. Notice the task did not change. They were supposed to offer incense um, burning on coals. That was correct. But the fire they used, you know, it it still burned the incense. The result's still going to be the same. You're going to end up with ash. But they set some type of fire or something differently. By setting their own truth and criterion, they sinned. Now, there's a lesson right there we should be very careful of, and we'll come to it. But first of all, I want to see this. How did God react to these men changing his word and his command? Well, first, God kept his standards. He didn't say, well, it's okay if you guys want to change what I was saying there. No, God is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. God is bound by his own word to do what he says. He's not like, 
<laughs> all of mankind, basically, that changes. Even if world culture and societies change, God cannot change. That's Malachi uh, 3.6. And in other places in the Bible, God does not change. He does not conform to man's interpretation. This is contrary to what many people think today, that God must keep up with man's changing culture. No, he doesn't. He's perfect. He doesn't have to change. Second thing that we can see how God reacted. God proved that his word is not, repeat, not to be trifled with. Man is not to change God's commands to fit his own ideas or personal viewpoints, a sin that is very popular today. I often hear people tell me that God's perspective on certain sins is not relevant today in our modern society, thus saying God has to change because we um, have voted that this is, and you know, enough of us have now said that this is acceptable, so God has to change. Really? I think we've got this really backwards. Third reaction that we see, God spoke to Moses explaining why he did it. He explained his reasoning. And we read, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all people, I will be glorified. That's, in, that's Leviticus 10.3. That's what he says as a result of this. You, know, you are going to, um, I am going to be sanctified and glorified before people. So God is explaining to Moses that anyone disregarding his commands offends him and disrespects him. That, of course, is a sin. God is saying that he is to be honored and respected by everyone. After all, he is the creator. He is the almighty God deserving this. Who is man to decide how God thinks? A fourth way that God reacted from this mistake these guys made, this sin that they did, God shows the consequences of man compromising his word. Man is in no position to correct Almighty God when we disagree with what he says. As we said before, God will be glorified before all creation, and to insult God or show him contempt meets with disaster and death. God used this example of Nadab and Abihu to show the people that he will not allow personal interpretation of his law, period. Now, could you imagine what must have gone through their father Aaron's mind witnessing this when, when God pronounced judgment on Nadab and Abihu? Or think for a moment, what, what did Eliezer and Ithamar, they witnessed and, and, and thought, uh, what, what did they think when they saw that their brothers burst into flames, that their brothers just uh, turned to a, uh, burnt to a crisp right before their eyes? What was going through their minds? Now, I know that some people today react with severe anger towards God when loved ones are punished by him or taken away due to their sins. Now, folks, we all sin. We are all unrighteous before God. I'll tell you what really amazes me. What amazes me is how patient and merciful God is with us when we do sin. Why don't we all just burst into flames? God is merciful, and he's patient. Now, how did the relatives 
And the people who are out there watching all this, how did they react when God pronounced the judgment on Nadab and Abihu? Well, first, they are told not to mourn these two individuals. That would be a rebellious thing to do inside of God's judgment on this sin. The nation of Israel uh, would have viewed the mourning or the honoring of their deaths as a lack of respect towards God. In verse 6 of this chapter 10 in Leviticus, we read, And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. The wrath come upon all the congregation, but let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. So they're not supposed to mourn. By mourning them, they're honoring them. By honoring them, that would be disrespectful and contemptible to God. Second, they were told to continue in their work at the time. God's commands are to be honored. They are the most important items on our agendas. Are they for you? To defy Almighty God and honor these two men would be appalling and would lead to more disobedience. In verse 7 of this passage, And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of the Lord. So even though Aaron's, it was his sons and the brothers of, of um, Eliezer and Ithamar, they continued in worshiping God as they were told to do. Hmm. How important is that? I mean, we could learn a lesson from them right there. They were involved in the act of worship and were not to halt that just because of judgment poured out against two sinners. A third thing that we can learn, we are, we're not allowed to even, they were not even allowed to carry the charred bodies away. Isn't that something? Again, if they were, if they were to stop work and go over, now they're defying God, but if they were to go over and honor them and give them a nice big burial and stuff and have national mourning, um, that would be a very serious matter um, because that would be honoring them where they're supposed to be honoring God in every detail. So in Leviticus 4 and uh, 10, 4 and 5, we read, And Moses called Mishael, El Zaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. So what happened here? What's going on? Nadab and Abihu's cousins had the job of carrying the charred remains outside of camp to be disposed of in the rubbish heap. Again, these two individuals were not to be honored. They disobeyed God and altered his word. Eliezer and Ithamar would now serve in the roles of these two disobedient priests. The two dead priests were replaced by their brothers. We read this in Numbers chapter 3, verse 4. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar uh, served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron their father. So what can we learn from these minor characters? What can we learn from this, this lesson we have here um, in here? These minor guys, what's the major lesson? Well, there are some really important lessons uh, they can teach us in our walk with God. I believe that there's several things that we can learn from them. Uh, from them. First of all, number one, God's word's not to be tampered with. 
God's word is not to be tampered with. Today, many people, even some preachers from pulpits, teach that God's word is not perfect. It's culturally variable. Some say that it's fluctuating. It's inconsistent. It's open to various interpretation. Interpretation by who? By people. This is exactly the sin of these two guys. Some people even preached that modern societies and cultural changes influence the Word of God. Now, this is a tactic of old. I mean, Satan in the garden with Adam and Eve distorted God's Word. Even Paul faced some challenges, for he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4.2, out of the God's Word translation, we don't distort God's Word. So that's the first lesson. A second lesson that we can learn is that God's Word is the standard of judgment. God does not treat nicely or softly those who distort, who change, or use personal ideas over God's explicit commands. He will judge these people who are called to serve him under even a more severe standard than lay people. Did you catch this? People who are in leadership, particularly, you know, in church, people who are in leadership, that would be elders, that would be your pastors, etc., will be held more responsible and judged more harshly than the people in the congregation, the laymen. How do I know that? God tells us that again in his word in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I served as an elder in a church for a number of years back uh, in Illinois in the 1990s. I still remember when I was called, um, the committee nominated me, the church um, discussed it, um, uh, the elders did, then it was brought before the whole church, and they all discussed this, and they voted on it. And to be honest, I was, you know, it wasn't something I was aspiring to. Oh, I want to be an elder, so I have a big say. If you know me, that is not me. (laughs) No, um, I was, to be honest, my reaction was I became a little frightened and scared because of James chapter 3, verse 1. And I took this position very, very seriously. I had um, a number of people who I was responsible for in our church congregation. I would pray for them. I would contact them um, weekly. I would write notes to them and never missed a birthday, never missed uh, an anniversary. I tried to find out, is there anything that they needed, any any struggles they're going through? I uh, And I also tried to help them in, in their spiritual growth. How can I help you? And I took this very seriously because I know the day is going to come that I have to stand before God. I, I even, what I ended up doing, I even got up a half hour earlier. I would get up at 4.30 in the morning now, um, sometimes 5 o'clock, but before 5, usually around 4.30, and get ready. So I would have an extra half hour to pray for the people on my list that I was responsible for as an elder. Hmm. Yeah, we will be held in um, greater strictness, as God says. A third thing we can learn from this, really simple, this one. We're not to add or to take away from God's word. In other words, you don't distort God's word. You got to understand, folks, society and cultures cannot change God or his word. So why do some people think that their opinion matters more than God's opinion? I mean, God is immutable. He is holy. He is perfect. You don't change perfection. 
Now, I know some people are, this is going to turn some people off who are possibly listening to me on this because they'll say that God is open to interpretation on many things by cultural demands. I totally disagree with that. Um, the Bible was written over a span of, um, from about 1500 BC all the way um, to about 100 AD. Look at how many cultural changes took place there, yet the Bible stayed constant. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, we read, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Deuteronomy 12:32 Everything I command you you shall do you shall be careful to do you shall not add to it or take away from it Man even Jesus was constantly saying you do what my commandments are In Revelation John writes in the last book of the Bible chapter 22 verses 18 and 19 I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them God will add to him the plagues described in this book and if anyone takes Away from the words of the book of his prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in his book. Lastly, one more lesson we can learn from this. We must learn to respect the word of God. True, there are some commands in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that do not apply to us today as Christians because they were fulfilled by Jesus. But the New Covenant repeats many of the laws, such as the Ten Commandments and some others, um, to repent, um, to love others, but to repent, that was the major message of Jesus and stuff. Uh, there are the commandments that, there are many commandments in the New Testament, not nearly as many as in the Old. But we are told not to challenge or to change these. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, this is Jesus saying this, who hear the word of God and keep it. Doesn't say to distort it. As Paul said, we don't distort it. And even the writer of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The scriptures are the word of God. In them, he has given us a chart to steer our souls through the wreaths of humanism and degradation. Sailing your life by its course will bring you successfully into the safe harbor of God's open arms. But people will always challenge authorities for their own interpretation. Those who were born before 1970 may well remember May 18, 1980, the eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. For months, the U.S. Geological Survey had been warning people to stay away from the mountain as was showing signs of a possible violent eruption. Many heeded the warnings, instructions, and the rules and evacuated the area. 57 people didn't. The most famous was probably a man named Harry Randall Truman. Harry Randall Truman was 83 years old and a widow. He owned a lodge on beautiful Spirit Lake near Mount St. Helens. For weeks, he was urged and ordered to evacuate, but he had felt the rumbles from that mountain before and was determined to stay. He became a celebrity for his insistence to stay with his 16 cats. He was interviewed on TV, and even National Geographic ran an article on him. 
The colorful man with his vulgar explicitives were, were so popular. He had quite a following of people supporting him and how he defied the rules and regulations and orders that were coming down. But at 8.23 a.m. on that fateful day, he paid the full penalty for his disobedience from following the directives by officials when his home was hit by an avalanche of hot ash and mud and more. His lodge was obliterated and his remains were never found. Challenging the authority of government laws is one thing, but inserting your own interpretation and challenging God's direct commands is another. The Bible is God's, the creator God's guideline to not only having an abundant life, but it also holds the key to eternal life. We would all do well to follow what God has told us and to listen less to man's interpretation. Father God, we thank you for this passage in Scripture and how it helps us to see that your word is not to be trifled with. Yet today we are constantly bombarded by people saying that it's it's not culturally correct, it's not politically correct, um, it insults people, and we have to change it to make it more pleasant, more soft, more loving. Where God, that is not what you tell us to do. You do not change. And I thank you for that, because we always know what you are like, and you are the standard of perfection. Help us to realize that. And Lord, if there's someone listening today that does not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is found in your word, I would ask that they would repent of their sins and, Lord, trust in you as their Savior, so that their names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Lord, I thank you that you do offer such mercy and patience to us that you don't destroy us for every time we sin, but Jesus Christ paid our penalty now. Thank you for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me on this little lesson here as we've gone through, and I hope you'll turn into the next one as we continue in this journey of minor characters, major lessons in this series called Keep the Fires Burning. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.